127, verse number 1. It says, A song of degrees for Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Our Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to open it tonight and to study it and to preach it and to declare it. And I pray, God, that you would use this text to be a challenge and encourage it to our hearts. Thank you for the good singing tonight, the good testimony. It's a good spirit of worship in your house. Bless this, your word tonight. Lord, I pray that all of our hearts will be open to receive what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We've been dealing with some of these psalms of degrees on and off here the last month or so, and we come to Psalm 127. Now, it amazes me a lot of these Bible commentators that I read behind, they will say that Solomon wrote Psalm 127, but it does not say a song of degrees of Solomon. It says a song of degrees for Solomon, which to me indicates that David is writing this psalm for his son Solomon. I've got a guy on my bookshelf that I'm reading behind, and he believes that Hezekiah wrote all 15 psalms of degrees. The only problem with that is this has, Hezekiah didn't know Solomon. Why would Solomon, why would he, Hezekiah, who lived several hundred years after Solomon, why would he write a song of degrees for a guy that had been dead, alright? Sometimes you just break your neck trying to fit things in there, alright? So I believe David wrote this psalm of degree in this text, and there's a little word, and it's gonna take me a minute to get where I wanna get, so you just stay with me tonight. But there's a little word that gives the context of this psalm, and it's found three times in verses 1 and 2. And I'll be honest with you, when I began to study this psalm, I was trying to, I thought I knew where I was going to go with it, and was trying to pray, and Brother Brian McBride preached these psalms a couple of years ago uh, in some revival meetings that I heard him in, and I actually went and found his sermon, and I'm not preaching his outline tonight, but he did help me with the context a little bit. And so one man said, a man that won't use another man's brain probably don't have a brain himself, all right? And so Brother McBride pointed this out, and when it, once, he, once he started talking, my mind clicked, and I kind of figured out where he was going. In fact, and just, just for my own sake, I didn't even listen to the rest of the message because I knew it had been better than mine, and I'd want to preach his. Can I get an amen out of that? And so there's a little word mentioned in verse 1 and 2 that uh, three times, and it is the word vain. Would you look at it in verse 1? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Verse 2, it is vain for you to do three things, to rise up early, to sit up late, and to eat the bread of sorrow. So the context in these verses 1 and 2 is that of vanity. Now, when I say the word vanity, I'm not talking about what you ladies sit down in front of and put on your female war paint. Can I get amen out of that, all right? I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about the the word vanity, if you look it up, it means 
emptiness. It means nothingness. It means worthlessness. The word picture for vanity in the Bible is that of a bubble. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we got, you know, we got three children. Of course, Judah's really not into it all yet. But there ain't nothing. And I, I'm say, I'm a kid at heart. We went to the fair Friday night and we was riding all those rides with the kids. I bought an armband myself and they had this ride over there. I don't know if y'all rode or not, but it's that thing you sit down in and it spins up in the air and goes up. I said, I want to ride that bad boy. And so here, the accident aside, are too small. Here I go, 30-year-old man, pastor of a local independent Baptist church, preached 25 meetings a year. I walked up, stood in line, got on, I rode the thing, loved it so much, got off, got back in line and rode it again, and I ain't ashamed of it at all. Amen. It was fun. I wish I could have got Eric on there. Amen. That would have been a blessing. But anyway, I'm a kid at heart. And I'll tell you, everybody here is a kid at heart with one thing. That's bubbles. You get you a little, you get one of them big old tubes of bubbles, and you begin to blow bubbles. I don't care how old you are. Everybody's going to reach out, try to grab one of them bubbles. You know what it is? It looks like it's appealing. It looks like it's something you want. But the moment you touch it, it's gone. That's the word picture for vanity. Solomon will use this word vanity in Ecclesiastes 2.11. He said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. Solomon said, I looked at my wealth, and I looked at my work, and I looked at my wisdom, and everything that I had lived my life for was nothing more than a bubble. When I reached out to attain it, there was nothing to it. That is the definition and the word picture of this word vain or vanity. The, the, the psalmist here, David, will, will say that vanity is likened to three things in this text. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. First of all, our construction is vain. Watch what he said in verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Our construction is vain. In other words, whatever you're focusing your attention, whatever you're trying to build in life, if you don't have the Lord involved in it, if God is not in the details, if you're not focusing the will of God and the Word of God and the ways of God in that, it is vanity. Except the Lord is a part of your life, I don't care what your ambitions are, what your desires, if you don't have God in the center of that, you know what that is? It's like a bubble. It's vanity. There's no Nothing to it. There's no substance. It's worthlessness. It's emptiness. The psalmist said, if you're going to build on anything, you better make sure God's involved in it. I see a lot of people in this world and in this life and even in church, they are putting all their hopes and all their desires and all their dreams on things that have no eternal value. I know we, I know we, uh, we are involved in things that are temporal and don't last, but I tell you, there, we ought to be involved in some things that are eternal. Amen. We ought not focus all our attention on things things that are just going to burn up at the judgment seat one day. We ought to make sure we're doing the will of God in our life. And so in this text, our construction is vain. But then notice in verse 1 again, our combat is in vain. Watch what he said. He said, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now, Brother McBride made this statement. He said, this watchman is not asleep because if he was asleep, he wouldn't be a good watchman. 
so that when he says he waketh, the watchman's job was to alert the city, to wake up the citizens. So here's what he's saying. He said, unless you've got the Lord keeping the city, I don't care how big of an army you have, if you don't have God on your side, you're not going to win the victory. You're not going to win the battle. The watchman is wasting his time waking the city if the Lord is not protecting it. I'll tell you this tonight, one of the things I fear about America is I'm afraid God has lifted up her hand from her. I appreciate God how he's blessed this country more than he has any other country with the exception of the nation of Israel, obviously. But I'm telling you, we're beginning to see that hand of God uh, come off America. And it's America and that frightens me. As a Christian, I know the Lord's getting ready to come. And I'll tell you tonight, I appreciate our military. I appreciate all the weapon we, that we used to have that's sitting on the tarmac in Afghanistan somewhere. Uh, but I appreciate all the things we have. But I'll tell you tonight, you can have the biggest tank, you can have the biggest bomb, you can have the biggest gun, but if you don't have God on your side, I'll tell you, you stood over there in the 1950s and 60s, that six-day war, oh, when Israel, they didn't have the army, and they didn't have the military. It looks like they somebody wiped off the map, and God miraculously done miracle after miracle after miracle, and rolled a victory. You know why? Because the Lord was keeping that city. It doesn't matter how big and bad we think we are. If God ain't on our side, we'll lose the battle. So in verse 1, our construction is vain without the Lord. Our combat is in vain. Look at verse number 2. Our conduct is in vain. I used to use this verse, a life verse. It is vain for you to rise up early. And like a good Baptist, I'd put a period there. There ain't no period there. <laughs> As a comma. It continues on. I hate that because the next part is what I struggle with. And to sit up late. I'm a night owl. Y'all pray for me. How many, how many night owls do we have? Hold your hand up. How many morning people, you just jump out of the bed excited for the day, hold your hand up. I'll be legal to shoot you. All right. Anyway, amen. Just get up. Good morning, ain't it? I'm like, leave me alone. Don't get near me. Don't talk to me. Stay away from me. If the day would start at noon, that'd be perfect. In fact, I think that's what heaven is. <laughs> In fact, I know it is because there's no more night there. That means there's no more mornings. I got, I'm on to something. I say amen right there. <laughs> So, it's not talking about, you know, not getting up early. Here's what it's talking about. The rest of the verse says, To eat the bread of Cyrus, for he giveth his beloved sleep. In other words, he's speaking of a man that gets up early, he goes to work, and he labors all day, does right, and then he stays up at night eating the bread of Cyrus, worrying if he's going to be able to pay his bills. He's living in worry. He is doing what he's supposed to do. He's rising up early. He's doing his job. But then he's sitting up late wondering, is God really going to take care of me? And, and, and you know what God said? He said, he gives his beloved sleep. He said, if you've done what you're supposed to, if you've honored God, go to bed. Get you some rest. Proverbs chapter number uh, 3 and verse 23 says, Thou shalt walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Why? Because that man is trusting in the Lord. So in this text tonight, we see and we learn about vanity. The context is vanity. What does vanity mean? Emptiness, nothingness, worthless. Our construction is in vain. Our combat is in vain. Our conduct is in vain. But you know what the next verse talks about? It talks about something that's not vain. And that's our children. You know what he says? He said, if you're trying to build a house without me, it's vain. He said, if you're trying to protect yourself, it's vain. If you're sitting up worrying all the time, it's vain. But then he says, but children are an heritage of the Lord. 
children are an heritage of the Lord. In other words, he's saying your children are not vain. They're not empty. They are not worthless, but rather they are worth it. I want to preach on this thought tonight. Our children are worth it. Our children are worth it. In this text tonight, we find that these children being a heritage, praise God, we're having revival. My wife moved to the front row. We are having revival. Somebody go get us a tent. All right, I'm just telling you, we are having meeting, amen. And so these children are a heritage of the Lord. In other words, if the construction is in vain without God, it's emptiness and our combat and our conduct. He goes to the next verse. He says, I'm going to tell you something that's not vain. Our children are not empty. Our children are are not nothing, but they are worth something. I tell you, our, our kids are worth having parents that will protect them and provide for them and pray for them and promote and push them to serve God. Our, our children are worth having a pastor that will preach to them, that will pray for them, that will promote the things of God. Hey, our children are worth having a church that is separated, that has shouting and good singing and scriptural preaching and standards and spirit-filled worship. Our kids are worth that. Do you not believe that tonight? I tell you tonight, I thank God for our children around here. They're not perfect. They get loud. Sometimes they run off and, I, and that happens with mine. And what you got do you got to take them back here deal with them and bring them back in here that's how they learn that's how you teach them but I'm glad we got children amen I'm glad I, I, I go to a lot of churches where they don't have any children and they don't have any little ones running around and I thank God for the families and they need to learn to sit in church that's why I'm not against junior church but I like having them here they need to learn how to sit in here and how to how to listen to the preaching and how to sing the songs amen that's why I like kids sitting up front like these boys are sitting tonight Jared you're doing good man you just keep doing good I had to put Caden up here so we'd all watch him. I'm just telling you, though, I'm glad that that's how they learn. Oftentimes, though, they push kids in a back room somewhere. When they get 15, they finally come out of the class. And I ain't saying this all the place, but they don't even know how to act in church. I'm glad these little ones are learning how to act in church. Amen. Moms and dads, that's our job to teach them how to listen. Hey, get them a Bible. They can't read. Well, teach them how to bring the Bible to church. Amen. I know some adults that don't even bring their Bible to church. So start teaching teach them at an early age that when we come to church, we bring our Bibles. Amen. You know why? Because our children are worth it. Three things in this text tonight in verses 3, 4, and 5 about children. First of all, children are worth it because children are precious. Look at verse number 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Three things in this text very quickly. First of all, they are a gift. Lo, children are an heritage. If you look up that word heritage, it is a first cousin to the word inheritance. In other words, you know what inheritance is? That is a family word. You remember it in somebody's inheritance, that means you as a part of their family. You know what that tells me? Children belong in a family atmosphere. You know what a family is? A family is a dad and a mom. Not two dads, not two moms. A family is a dad and a mom. Amen. And I tell you, I don't care what society says. I don't care how they want to twist it, how they want to change it. Two men and a baby will never make a family. Two women and a baby will never make a family. A family is a mom and a dad and a child and a church. Somebody say amen right there. I'm telling you, it reminds us that children are a gift from God. I tell them December the... 
17, 2013, when they put that blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy in my heart, I realized it was a gift from God. April 16, 2016, when they put that little uh, brown-headed boy in my arms, it's a gift from God. And Lord help January the 4th, 2022, when they put that precious little girl in my arms, I was reminded it is a gift from God tonight. Children are a gift. Not only they are a gift, but they are from God. He said children are an heritage of the Lord. God gave you those children. Now, we, we say, well, praise God, God gave us these children. But I remind you of the responsibility that comes with that. God entrusted you, mom and dad, with that child. Or those children, God entrusted you with that. They are, they are not only a gift and they are not only from God, but they are His goodness. Notice what He said, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. Watch it now. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. It's God's reward to you. It's God's reward to you. So I said, well, he cursed the woman with childbearing. No, he cursed the woman with travail and childbearing. But I'll tell you, the woman was going to be saved in childbearing, according to Peter, not talking about having a baby saved you, but that's how Jesus got here, because he was born of a virgin. That's how the woman was saved in childbearing. And so even with that curse of travail, there came a consolation of Jesus Christ, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. I tell you, I have no time tonight for this abortion crowd that's marched on the streets of uh, uh, protesting the Roe versus Wade and I remind you they did not abolish abortion I wish everybody on Facebook would get it through their thick skull they didn't abolish abortion they simply sent it back to the states that's why you and I better go and vote convictions in November to make sure we keep that baby killing crowd out of Raleigh and out of Washington my name's Josh Montgomery and I approve this message somebody say amen right there so I said well what about the woman's right she lost her right when she got in the bed with that heathen. Somebody say amen right there. And I'm telling you tonight, they're a gift from God. I'll tell you, anybody that believes they can take the life of a baby that has a heartbeat, that has that has a, a hands. And I mean, this crowd's even got to the point where the day before the delivery you can make up your mind. Even that crackhead up in Virginia, that governor uh, said even they can lay the baby on the, on the table and give the mother time to decide if she wants the baby to live. But you let some drunk driver hit that woman the day before she gets the abortion clinic and he kills her and the baby they'll get him for double manslaughter I'm telling you it's hypocrisy and wickedness and no wonder the judgment of God's on this nation but I'm glad I'm around a group of people tonight that realize that children are a blessing from God I tell you tonight I thank God for my children no they're not perfect but neither is their daddy and neither is their mama but I'm glad God gave me a family he gave me a home he gave me the opportunity to be a dad and to raise our children why for the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So our children are worth it tonight because children are precious. Spurgeon said, God gives us children not as a penalty or a burden, but as a favor. So our children are worth it tonight because children are precious in verse number three. Number two, in verse number four, we find that children have potential. Look at verse number four. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. We note three things in this verse. First of all, we note the example that he gives as arrows. John Butler said, arrows are of little value unless they have been taken care of and made straight and strong. If, if these arrows tonight, if our children are going to be successful, I'm not a bow hunter tonight, but I do have some friends of mine that are, and I do know this about an arrow, if you're going to shoot it, first of all, you've got to have it in the right position. 
And everybody, nobody's ever fired an arrow with the arrow in the truck and the bow out in the woods. You gotta have that arrow in the right spot. Hey, I'm telling you, these little arrows tonight, mom and dad, you've got them in the right spot. Amen. You've got them in the right place. Amen. And y'all to have them here for Sunday school Sunday. Amen. Y'all to teach them at an early age, and it's important. Old Sightler and Uriah has took over the Sunday school department. They have a choir, they have special music, and then them boys rotate preaching. And we're praying for Shirley and Carolyn to get saved under their ministry. Amen. I tell you, somebody said, I don't know about all that. Well, I'm not bragging on me, but they tell me at four and five years old, I was doing the same thing in Sunday school, so maybe they'll turn out to be a better preacher than I am, amen I'm just saying tonight, we ought to have them in the right position, if you're going to shoot an arrow you got to have the right placement you got to put that arrow on that string you got to have the right pressure and sometimes you have to put pressure on your kids no <laughs> now as he said, no, when this little brother when this little brother Richie when they get older, it gets a little harder, but it's still right. And if it's right when they're our boy's size and our little girl's size, it's going to be right when they get that boy's size. And I'm telling you, that's where a lot of parents are compromising and changing. I know preachers that years ago, they had tight dress standards. They had tight living standards until their kids got to be teenagers. And then they changed all those standards. That's hypocrisy. And I know I'm on thin ice, but I'm saying I want to be on the record. I want to be on Facebook Live that some things are just wrong. And by the grace of God, we're going to stay right. Amen. you got to have the right parameters. you got to aim that bow. It bothers me with some parents, the direction they're sending their kids. If that, if that mark, if that, uh, I don't know if you call him a marksman, the bow hunter. What do you call a man that shoots a bow, Tony? A marksman? That's not the right word. It's shooting a gun. Bow hunter? What? Archer. Archer's the word I was looking for. Thank you. If that archer is going to properly shoot that bow, maybe he's got a target. Maybe he's shooting at a, at a deer or, or whatever he's hunting. He's not, if that deer is right there, he's not going to aim over here. That's what a lot of parents are doing. I want my kids, and this way is towards God's, all right? I want my kids to live for God. I want my kids to live for the Lord. I want my kids to have a testimony. But they put them in travel ball, take them out of church. Amen. Uh, they, they, they make every excuse for them to be out of the house. and go, you know what they're doing? They're pointing them every other direction instead of the right direction where they ought to be. I tell you, the psalmist said, boy, I feel like preaching tonight. Amen. The psalmist said in this text that they're like arrows. And if an arrow is going to be successful in its purpose and in its plan, you've got to aim in the right direction. Arrows ain't supposed to do like that. That's a bad arrow if it does that. I ain't hunted, but I do know that. An arrow is to be shot straight. Hey, parents, where are we aiming our kids at tonight? What direction? I, hope, I want my kids to do more for God than I ever have. I want my kids to go further with God than I ever have. But they're not going to do that if I point them every other direction but the Lord. Amen. That's why I know it's hard to get them here for Sunday school. But my wife gets three here for Sunday school on Sunday morning by herself. Her sorry husband only help her get them here. Jerk. <laughs> but she gets them here. And I'm telling you, you can get them here. Get them here for Sunday school. We'll throw a donut in their mouth. They'll be all right. Get them here. It is important at an early age they be here in the house of God. Children, the, the example. But then notice the expectation. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. Now, if those arrows are the children, that only leads me to believe that the mighty man is the parent. So that means there's an expectation on parents that you're supposed to be spiritual. You're supposed to know God. You're supposed to have a relationship with God. That's one of our major problems. 
We got parents don't have any relationship with God. They might be saved, but they're not walking with God. They're not living for God. They don't have a testimony for God. And what they're doing, they are saying, do as I say, not as I do. That don't work. It never has worked, and it never will work. The expectation, we need, be, we need to have parents that are mighty in the things of God. Your children know you read the Bible, know that you pray, know that you want to. I appreciate these kids, and I know, and, 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 and let me say this, I appreciate these young as they want to preach and they want to sing, and we can't get them doing in service. We're working on that, amen. I guess we're just going to have to say, okay, church is over. Y'all come on up, and then we'll all sit out there and watch them, amen. I want them to sing. I want to have a part in church. And I understand they, they don't get everything right, and sometimes a little rambunctious, but that's all right. We'll, 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 that's what training's for. That's what teaching is for. And that's what we're supposed to do as parents, amen. And we're supposed to encourage them and lead them the right direction. And sometimes we got to take the board of education and apply it to the seat of knowledge so they get a better understanding. In other words, that means sometimes you got to spank them. Amen. So I say, I don't like spanking. I didn't either when I was getting them. And by the way, don't ever tell your kid, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You liar. If it hurts you more than it hurts them, then why don't you let them bend over and beat you? That's a lie. Amen. I don't, I've never told my boys that. I'm like, this is going to hurt you way more than it hurts me. I'm just telling you. Amen. I'm not talking about child abuse tonight. But I'm telling you tonight, we ought to, if, you, if your child never hears the word no, you know what they're going to turn out to be? They're going to turn out to be the residents of Portland, turning over police cars and setting them on fire. They never heard the word no. It's 7.50. got to hurry. I'm going to tell you something. Somebody asked me, why did you go to the faith 4th of July? To keep my burden for Salisbury. Because I go there and I'm reminded that everybody is not saved. <laughs> I mean, half this crowd don't even know who God is. And one of my problems is, I'm talking about expectation, but one of my problems is I see, all these, I see all these kids running around. I'm like, where is mom and dad? Why, why in the world? I mean, y'all was there. Y'all saw, some of y'all saw the way some of these girls were dressed 12, 13 years old. Some of these boys. I'm like, where is mom and dad at? What's the point? Who's buying that stuff? These kids ain't got jobs. Some, some dumb daddy somewhere buying these mini skirts and buying these short Daisy Dukes and all this kind of stuff. What are you thinking, man? These boys running around, got, uh, got this long hair, got an earring, got a chain, got a bracelet. That ain't what a boy looks like. We made fun of that when I was growing up. Amen. I'm glad my boys got boys' haircuts. Amen. I tell you, short haircuts. Amen. They ought to look like we ought to, ought to dress them right and teach them right. That's the, that ain't the kids out here. That's ours. It's parents, some expectation on us. Hey, man, my boys ain't going to have long hair and live in my house. So I said, well, if I tell them they ain't going to have long hair, it's going to run them out. Well, it ran Brother Rick off, but he started this church eventually, didn't it, Miss Janice? Oh, Brother Larry, uh, years ago, Brother, Brother Rick's probably about 16, 17, 18 years old, somewhere in there, and wouldn't get a haircut. And Brother Larry told him, well, you're not going to live in my house and be like that. And yeah, I ran Brother Rick off all right till he got right with God, and God called him to preach, and God let him pastor and start a church. I tell you, you know why? Because his daddy took a stand, and his mama took a stand, and God honored their faithfulness. I'm telling you tonight, you better take a stand and let your kids know there are some things and some directions we're not going. Stick to your guns. There's an expectation. Then there's an engaging. Look at verse 4. I'm almost done. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Here's why I use the word engaging. Children of the youth. The reason I say you've got to engage, because children don't stay children their whole life. 
You want to hear something sad? <laughs> Average kid leaves home at age 20 most of the time. In my estimation. I Googled it. They said 27. I'm like, 27? <laughs> but average kid leaves. I left home at 20. That's when I got married. 20 years old. So from birth to age 20, just think about that. If your child come to your house the day they was born, the day after they was born, and left at age 20, you have, you have 630 million 720,000 seconds with them. Or you have 10,512,000 minutes with them. Or you have 7,300 days with them. 1,040 weeks, 240 months, two decades. You know what that tells me? They're going to live out on their own longer than what they're going to be in your house. So you better engage now, teaching them, training them, and pointing them the right direction. Here's the last thing. I'm not going to preach it. Children are precious. Children have potential. Children bring, bring pleasure. Look at verse 5. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Two things, just for the outline's sake. There's the attitude in verse 5. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Now, I'm not saying you've got to have 27 kids. Please don't, because I don't know if I can take care of 27 kids. Somebody asked the other night, they said, is Judah the last one? I said, yes. And uh, they, said, they said, oh, they said, we thought you'd have more. I said, the only good thing about having multiple children was them stimulus checks. Don't look at me like that. I was hoping I had, I, man, when stimulus checks began, I'm like, yeah, I wish I had 10 kids. I mean, praise God, cha-ching, go buy a truck. Amen. I know we're paying for it now. Don't give me that speech. Hey, but that bill back better is working. Gas is only 409 now. <laughs> Old Biden's getting it figured out. Bless his heart. <laughs> I said that with extreme sarcasm. I hope you know that, all right? But in other words, he said, that man that has children that are arrows, he's happy. He's happy to see the direction they're going. None of their attitude, but their adulthood. Verse 5. They should not be ashamed. But they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. They bring pleasure at their adulthood because they're not ashamed of how they were raised. And they can converse with the enemy and not be shaken in their faith at the gate. They're adults. They're steadfast. You know what? Somewhere, mom and dad standing back there and they're proud. Brother Tony, I'm sure tonight you are proud that your two daughters married preachers. And they're serving God tonight. Both of them, they're in church tonight. And, and uh, brother, is it Keegan? Miss, Miss Chloe, is that right? They're raising that pretty little grandbaby in church. As a daddy and a mom, I bet that makes you proud. You're thankful for that. Uh, probably greatest years of your life was watching your son preach to you. You're so proud. So proud. So proud. You know what my desire? Is to watch these boys and that little girl serve God when they get in adulthood. And watch them serve the Lord. Don't make you anything prouder and watch your kids serve the Lord and sing in the choir. And, and, and he does it. I pick on him a lot, but he does a lot to help me. This fellow right here does a lot to help me. Sarah, we wish you'd do something around here. I'm just picking on you. I'm just picking on you. She says, I'll start preaching if you want me to. And, uh, straighten this whole crowd out. No. Saying that makes you proud seeing your kids want to serve God. Even as young, but when they get older and they stick to it and they're faithful and they're steadfast. I know your mom and daddy's proud of you, honey, seeing how you serve God. That should be our desire to raise our kids 
When they get older, they're serving God and being faithful. Brother Matthew, Brother Sam, I know your mom and dad's proud of how y'all serve the Lord. Miss Sarah, I know your mom and dad's proud of how you serve the Lord. Others, I go around the room. Here's my point tonight. Those of us who still have children at home, let's raise them so that when they get to that point, they're still serving God. I know, I understand they have a will. They can turn away. I understand that. But I said all the time, I want to do everything I can to point them in the right direction the when I have to let them go. When they get married. When they walk out. When I let them go, I've pointed them the right direction. Now what happens after I let them go, I can't help. But I can aim them the right direction. You know what an arrow does? An arrow reaches further than you can reach out. That's what we ought to do with our children. Raise them to go further than we ever have. Amen. Let's stand. I appreciate your attention. Our children are worth it tonight, are they not? These altars are open, but the Matthew's going to play a verse of invitation. These altars.